Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Happy Monday for those that are here live. For those that are with me, whatever day you're with me, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for being on. For those that are coming in early or late or just showed up, wherever you jump in is fine. I got that from somebody. I think I said this last week. I got that from somebody. Don't feel like you have to start from the beginning. We've got a lot of episodes here. Just come in wherever you come in. We're just trying to circulate around, getting deeper. We've been talking a lot about this idea of being responsible, being empowered. Yesterday, we really tried to get into this world of taking back the experience. We can't let other people determine our experiences. They can determine our circumstances, no question. They could influence what they say, what they do. I mean, you can throw the ball. I remember we had this growing up. When I was in Israel for the year, uh, we played in the football league. It was very intense. Very intense. And we were a really good team. We were in the playoffs. And we had a guest that came in to, for the weekend. And we thought he was a good ball player. And he is a good ball player. And we were uh, up by one touchdown, for those of you who, who are with me a little bit here. And um, we were charging down the field. And if we scored the next touchdown, it would be game over. And we would go the next, we'd advance. And um, the quarterback found this guy in the end zone, threw him the ball, and it went through his hands and he dropped it. And we didn't score the touchdown. The other team came back, went the whole distance, scored the touchdown and an extra point and beat us. And we were like devastated, devastated. So this is like the perfect example of that. Someone else will control what happens. It was one man who dropped one pass. Ultimately, if you watch the game, you know, whatever, but like who dropped the pass that ultimately led to a loss that caused the rest of the team to be in pain over the weekend and for weeks afterwards. People will control your circumstances, no question, but will they control your experiences? So you can't get here unless you fight for here. Like you can't get to this level unless you go in working on this part of your life. Because right now, the relationship between circumstance and experience is so tight that the loop is so automatic that it is nearly impossible to stop it, to tell a bunch of 18-year-olds that not to be upset because you lost in the playoffs when you really should have won, when every guy in that team is super competitive, that you got to be kidding me. But if you start working on it at 18 and now you're 40, so to speak, and you play in whatever the next equivalent of that game is, you could get yourself to a level where the level of happiness that you have doesn't really shift that much, whether you win or you lose, without being less competitive. And you get it by taking back your experiences, by trying in your mind to find ways to create new pathways so that the experience, the circumstances that you experience have a different impact on you. In this case, you would work as hard as you can on trying to get in before you get through 
the feelings of winning, but even if you lose the joy of playing, the joy of being in the competition, the, the perspective of it's just a game, there's so many things you could be doing to create in your mind a reality that if he scores, you enjoy it. And if he doesn't score, you're not devastated by it. <laughs> right, we got Dolphin fans here. Yeah. And you see this, by the way, with teams all, this, all the time. But this concept that if you don't, if we don't know we need to work on it, we won't. And if we don't, we're going to never know why we are constantly being moved emotionally. It's because we've anchored, we've attached our emotional well-being on something that is out of our control. When you look at the lives of great people, there's a great rabbi named Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky. He's arguably one of the greatest rabbis in the world today. And I know someone who's close to him. And he explained to me a story once where he went through a very big tragedy. And clearly he felt the pain of the tragedy. And this person was commenting that his level of happiness and empowerment never, never faltered. He worked on himself to such a level where he was able to experience pain without it, him attaching his emotions and then having that pain be the ship that sends him off into a direction that he can't get back on. There's a, this, this work requires us to first say, okay, I, I'm, I don't need to be thrown by this. It just begins with, I don't need to be. How, what, when, it's personal. We can talk about it, but it's in a personal experience. How do you grow your muscle? I don't know, it's personal. There are some basic rules, but you gotta go to the gym, you gotta figure it out, and you, whatever. How do you lose weight? You figure, how do you get to you know, do well in law school? Like there, there are, there's basics, but the only way you can build a business or you know, have a relationship, it's only through the trial and error, but it's only because you know to work for it. This is such a critical mistake that people make. They don't search out wisdom, so they don't know what they're looking to accomplish. So they get involved in something, and then we all do this, and they're just like running around. People get married, myself included, without anyone telling me what is the spiritual purpose of marriage. The spiritual purpose of marriage is to reunite two souls that were once separated and now are coming back together. How would you know that if you didn't search the wisdom for it? What do you, the Western world, you think America's going to teach that to you? You think America's going to teach you that the goal of marriage is to reunify two parts of the same soul? Really? You think the, te the movies are going to teach that to us? Usually the movies end when they get married. You ever see a movie after they get married? No. Movies end at the canopy. That's the end. Because then the, the work begins. Hollywood's like, nah. We're done with that. I'd rather like have a story about, you know, like two people from two different parts of the world. And like, you know, she's like this big CEO and he's like the guy in the mailroom and they hate each other, love each other. They hate each other, love each other. They're about to get married and something terrible happens. They find out that he was this and then it's going to be over and then they get back together and then the music comes up and they're by some kind of beautiful, you know, destination wedding. And then the credits come up. They're never around for like two years in. How would you know that the whole goal of marriage is to try to subjugate you to your wife? And she's supposed to subjugate herself to you. The, the goal of marriage is a spiritual process of reunification of soul with, by, through the physical means. 
So if you don't know that and you start getting and you're married, you're what do you the work may be in the wrong direction. Big deal coming up right now, Rosh Hashanah. People think Rosh Hashanah is like the invisible God in the sky, like looking down and like writing down your books. Like show up because if you if you he's like looking down on you. And if you're not going to be good, the, the, the perspective of God is so, it's like little, it's like, it's like standing in front of your teacher and she's giving out A's and D's and you're just like waiting in line and you don't want to be there, but the teacher's there. So you got to say the right things. So you like recite the stuff that you're supposed to recite. And then like you call it a day and you're pumped that it's over. Like what? Rosh Hashanah is about coronating the king. It's the king's day. Yes, the judgment isn't like A's and B's. But how do we know that? How would we know that? There are a lot of Jews out there that are wonderful, amazing Jews who are completely turned off to Judaism because their experience is Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And they walk into some synagogue or some temple and they basically say words that they don't understand and hear some speech from either some fiery sermon about how they're all going to, they're not good enough or some political speech about, I don't know what. And then like they go home, they're like, that was Judaism. This is ridiculous. And they're out to lunch. There'd be great, awesome, amazing spiritual people are out there that went through like Hebrew school and they're like, I'm out of here forever. How would they know that Judaism is a relationship more than it is a religion? How would they know that God's a loving God that wants to talk to them if all they knew growing up is like read Hebrew and like do these few things and some invisible man in the sky is not going to strike you dead. We could be walking, working in the wrong direction. If we don't fully appreciate that circumstance and experiences are separate, how would we know that my goal in my life is to stop trying to control circumstance and start trying to control experiences. I don't know that. I don't know. So I'm trying to constantly get her or him to do the things I want because I want to feel a certain way. And if I want to feel a certain way, I don't know how to do that except for controlling the circumstance, but we can't control circumstance. And then we get frustrated. And then at some point we give up in TGIF. Just happy to disconnect. So some crazy stat that like the average gamer is like 35 years old. That means that most people and many people in America are playing video games. I'm not saying for recreation. The stats that I was watching, they're playing video games for escape because the world around them is so crazy that they just need something. They're escaping to the video games. People are escaping to everything today. We're escaping to binge watching and video gaming. It's like there's, a, there's an escapism culture today. Vacations and extremism for what? It's because I can't control my environment and I don't know how to have an experience that is going to make life empowering. So I must have to either run away from my environment or I must have to create a synthetic that I can control. But once we start to realize that we are brought into this world and tasked with the, the opportunity, the opportunity to fix the world around us, and it begins by being in control of us, 
once we get that this is an opportunity, you can start to look at your life totally differently. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Andy just saw the stats. I love this. Andy starts, Andy, Andy just rocked the stats. I saw this stat like 10, five years ago. Andy found it. 41% of the bowl gamers are 34 and older. I think that's an incredible stat. 2019. Look at that. I guess things don't change. This only works. This only works. If we accept this challenge in a positive way. This is a challenge. I would say this is the challenge. If you would ask me like, what are the top two or three challenges of your life? One of, me, one of them would be this. The ability to control your experience amidst circumstances. This is what I believe the great Rabbi Nachman was getting at when he said, always empowerment. I'll go through another two. Another big one of my major challenges in life is grappling with an, a creator. Grappling with this relationship with a, in a creator of the universe. This is why so many people just disengage in that. They have no idea. They're just like, I can't. Did the Jets win? Well, that's easy. Your answer is usually no. If we're going to fight this fight, we got to do it together. And you can't fight the fight unless you're empowered. You can't be empowered unless you have perspective. This period of time is a time of perspective. I remember when I was a fourth year associate at the law firms, as many of you may or may not know, my, the beginning of my career was in big law. I started my life at two big law firms. And for those lawyers on the, that are watching or listening, if you started your life in big law, it's almost indescribable to someone who didn't. It's like, I don't know, it's like the equivalent of like, I don't know, like, um, it's like servitude. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's like being in like the Navy SEALs for your brain, I guess. You just, you walk in and like you don't exist. At least in my firms, you don't exist. You're not a human being. You're a brain and your hands and, and, and you don't, you don't have a life. I can't count the amount of times where like it was like eight o'clock at night and it's part of like Moses and he goes, Hey Charlie, listen, um, I just client just called and we need to get a memo out about this thing. Um, I got to call at 10 AM. Can you hook it up? Can you get that for me? I'm thinking it's eight o'clock at night. They're like, yeah, you don't mind. And the answer is my pleasure, sir. May I have another? And you just call your wife and say, um, yeah, I'm not going to be home tonight. And that happens like routinely, routinely. I one time had a big event partner walks in and is like, oh, by the way, we just bought a, a big um, deal and there's like a bunch of factories in Pennsylvania. No one has the diligence. And so I just ordered you a car. So do you mind just driving out to Pennsylvania and come? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. I have no other life. So the best part about these firms is that no one even like tells you, like, it's not even like you, you work really hard and then you make a partner, right? You work really hard. And then like, at some point, if they like you, they keep you. If not, they just get rid of you. Like you can be like a fifth year associate. And they're like, when I was in my, my, one of the firms I was working at, um, there was an eighth year associate. That means eight years of no life, no life, no life. And then like the week before they were going to decide what to do with him, some partner was on a deal, saw a guy across that was really, really, really good and then hired him 
to be the partner or sorry, to be the counsel of this group. And they just walked into the guy's office like, by the way, thanks for your service. Like, but we're not going to make you counsel. I got you a pen. Like, this is what I'm talking about. So in my fifth year, I had a very close, I have a very close friend of mine who's a partner in another firm. One of the most important people in my life. He's a partner of the firm. Great guy. Really wonderful. He's not like this. Some, not every firm's like this. Mine were. I called him. I said, listen, I'm, I'm killing myself. I don't want to get thrown to the curb. Like, how do I know? Like, how do I know? Like, they're not going to tell me. They can be like, you're doing amazing. Maybe you'll pay me a partner one day. They're not, no one's going to tell me they're going to kick you to the curb after giving a decade of your life. How do you know? So he gave me this incredible, incredible piece of advice. He said, be very mindful at your reviews. I said, what does that mean? He said, partners, when they start to smell future partners or future, you know, counsel, or whatever, they start to give them feedback right away. They start to like feed them with what they're doing wrong in a very, they couch it, but they do it because they want them to be better. And they want you to be better. So they challenge you. As soon as they stop doing that, you're, you're, you're just like, here's the body. If you go to a review, if no one says a word to you about your work, if you think you're doing work at the partner level, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself. If no one says a word to you during the year, then you get to review and they give you like, that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like some basic review, like you're doing fine enough. You're done. Just a matter of time because they don't want to, they're all passive aggressive. A lot of them are passive aggressive. So they're not going to like start a fight for nothing. This isn't like, you know, the Israeli tech world. This isn't like, you know, the Mossad where like everyone's like straight up in your face. These are a bunch of lawyers. God bless them. But like, you know what I'm saying? Like these are like law firm partners. They're all getting paid the same amount anyways. They, so they want to like be uncomfortable in front of someone they're going to get rid of in the next two to three years. But if they're going to be uncomfortable to give you feedback, it means because they believe in you. Pay attention. So he told me he was brilliant. And he was right. And the partners that were working there, I knew. And then thank God I went in-house, so it was all fine in the end. I got pulled out by God, which is a whole story into itself. My recruiter who pulled me out was a guy named Michael Lord. Another story, how I got a call middle of the night. Mr. Lord's on the phone for you. I mean, I'll tell you another time. When you, when you look at life and you feel like you're challenged, Maybe God's working you because he believes in you. Maybe, maybe he's giving you feedback every day because he really believes that you, you can be something big for him. Maybe the reason why we're engaged in circumstances don't work out in our favor is because he says to you, I want you to be a partner. I want you to be my partner in this thing called the world. This is so much more important than a law firm. I'm giving you this feedback. I'm pushing you. I'm pushing you. I'm stoking at you. I'm like, because I, I know you can get here. I know you can do this. And when you look at your challenges like this, and you know what you're fighting for, you're fighting to gain control of your experiences. You're fighting to keep a certain amount of peace of mind and focus and emotional control, empowerment, 
regardless of what's around you. If you know what you're fighting for, you come to the fight every day and you're not like, oh, I knew it. As it comes at you, you can almost see God saying, I believe in you. I believe in you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a harder assignment today because I can push you. I'm going to give you a little bit of a challenge today because I can draw this out of you. Don't have that perspective. You're always thrown. People that want comfortable lives are constantly thrown by challenge. People that want great lives embrace it. This is what we want to do today. Whatever is coming your way, try even a little bit to detach circumstance from the experience. Tell yourself, I don't need to be thrown by this. I can still remain empowered by this. I can still be calm with this. I can still be giving, even if that person is taking. I don't have to be dumb about it. I don't have to have enough common sense. I don't have to be, this thing doesn't have to ruin what's in my, what's in me. Let's just start to fight. This is very much connected to Rosh Hashanah. We're going to get to maybe later this weekend. This weekend, so we'll get to it soon. Um, if you're not already on Timeless Lessons, if you want, just email me, charlie at charlierari.com. I'm going to start doing a lot more, especially as we get closer to these few-minute clips as we prepare ourselves for the king. Think about that. Let's fight the fight together. Come on. We have one life, and we're together. Let's just fight. It's so much better to fight and either win or lose than to not fight at all. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Honor to be here together. With God's help, I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow.